It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And today we have an incredible topic for you. It's called the connection between joy and productivity. And the reason that we're doing this is because we have a four, or actually it's a six-week series on joy and and productivity. And the exciting part about this is there's all kinds of different elements. In the book that I wrote is called Joy in Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. It's this, this great book all about how you have joy during uncertain times. And then we've been talking about joy and, and happiness. The difference between joy and happiness was last week's topic. We've talked about joy and just different aspects of it. And we've got two more weeks of joy coming up. So next week, we're talking about joy in the workplace, because I know that's a hot button topic right now. And then June 7th, we're talking about joy and the effects on your brain. So we're actually bringing in a neuroscientist. I can tell you his incredible background and you'll be amazed. There's all kinds of things you could call him, but I call him dad. So you guys, I am lit up about the possibilities of joy. And here I am in the United States. I live in Iowa and our, our dynamic here is, is very different. I was just talking about this before the show in that here in Iowa, we have a lot looser restrictions, but we don't really even have restrictions. And so I've been able to, last week, I got to actually speak in a physical audience, like a live uh, people that were in front of me. And it was, it was really refreshing after a year and a half of being just in the virtual space to be back in front of an in-person audience. So there are so many great things happening that it brings me an immense amount of joy. And it's perfectly timed with this series on joy. And so when we talk about the connection between joy and productivity, I want to first dig into what actually is productivity. And productivity is such an interesting word where I bet if you asked 100 people, you'd have 100 different responses like, what's productivity? What does that look like? And the reality is how productivity is defined is that it is the relationship between the inputs, so, so the things that you're doing, to the output, which is the result. So productivity is that, that connection between what you're doing, the inputs, and the output. And the beautiful part about that is that productivity, you can measure it over time. So it's, it's an output. It's a result. That's, that's probably the terms that we most commonly see it as, output and productivity being a result. So grabbing some water here. <coughs> when you think about that, the connection between joy and productivity is about where we actually create results and what brings us joy. And as humans, we have a, connect, a completion bias, completion bias. And what that means is that we are geared to want to complete things. And we're going to talk about that later on in the show. We've got, this, I've got all kinds of stuff planned, but I want to share with you a story about what happened for me this weekend and where it created joy. So I decide a couple of weeks ago, I'm with my sister who lives in Chicago and I say, we're going to get flowers. I say, well, what, what kind of flowers are you putting at your house? And she moved into her house three years ago. And she says, I don't have any flowers. So what do you mean you don't have any flowers? You've been there for three years. And we come from a family and my mom is very active in gardening. And so I've, I've taken that on. I'm really great at starting the flowers. I'm not so great about watering them, especially when July and August hits. They're usually dead. But they look really good in May and June. So I say to my sister, what flowers are you putting in? And she says, I, I don't know how to do this. I said, no problem. I'll come. So... <coughs> excuse me, getting over a cold. It'll all explain itself here in just a second. 
So I decide we're gonna go to Chicago. I enroll my husband and my kids into going to Chicago and my dad, he decides he's coming with us too. So we all get in the car and on Thursday we leave and go to Chicago. So we get there about two o'clock. I have a call with a client at three and I say, as soon as I'm done with this call, then we'll start. Well, I get done with the call and I walk outside and there's nobody there. <laughs> I can't find the kids. I can't find my husband. I don't know where my sister is. Like, they're all gone. Then I call my sister. I said, what are you doing? And she says, well, we, we went to the gardening store to get started. Well, she didn't really have that vision necessarily of what she was creating. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. So we, we decide we get in the car and we are going to move forward. She, she's in the car. She's not even with me. And I said, what are, what are you creating? And she says, I don't know. But my husband had an idea. And so they started buying stuff like buying uh, bedding and all kinds of things for this garden. And <coughs> okay, guys, give me one second. And I'll continue the story. Okay, we're good now. All right, we're going to go on a quick break. I'm going to rest my throat for just a second, get this cough out of here. And then we're going to continue because I got all kinds of fun stuff planned and I don't want to miss out. So enjoy this quick break and I will be right back with you. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is your host, Kathleen Reeson, and I just had a little bit of a coughing spell, and so thank you for holding with me. It actually inspired me to open up the story and give you a little bit more information on the last week and what's been going on and everything that's kind of occurred, because it's really miraculous on just when you think about things happen for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. And so I had the show last week. It was a great show. And I'd made this commitment to go to Chicago to support my sister. That's what I was telling you about right before that break. And so I, I decide I'm going to go support my sister in gardening, because this is something that usually my mom would have been the one to go support her. But I decided, you know, my mom, she died last November or last October. And uh, I was, I get to be the one that gets to do this. I enjoy gardening. I can support her with this gardening. So I decide I'm going to do this. I enroll my husband, my dad, my kids, we're all going. And my dad had been working on this bench. He was super excited. Like we knew we had a plan, a big vision, what we were going to create for her. And so uh, I do the show on Monday and I get this tickle in my throat after the show. <laughs> oh, I hope I'm not getting sick and, you know, COVID, I've already had COVID. I have a vaccine. I, you know, I thought, wow, I don't know what's going on. And my, one of my kids had a cough as well. Maybe it's allergies. And then Tuesday came 
And I knew it was more than that. And I had just a really bad cold. I was getting tired and I just kind of chilled a little bit more. And then Wednesday came and it was like death had hit me. I was in bed. I, I still worked. I was still functional, but I could barely, I was barely just above functional. And Josh, my husband says, how can we, are not going to be able to go to Chicago. How are you going to garden all weekend? How are you going to dig these flower beds? Let's just, maybe we should move it to another weekend. I said, no, no, it'll be okay. I'll be fine. And I'm saying this, what it actually sounded like was, ah, I'll be okay. You know, it's okay. And, and I knew that if I just rested, that I would be okay. And so I did that. And even Tuesday night, I didn't sleep at all. I'm like maybe, maybe an hour or two. And amongst eight hours, I was just up all night. And in this moment, <laughs> this is not something I was, I was planning on sharing with you guys, but this is pretty cool. So Tuesday night, when, I, when I'm up with this, this cold, I just couldn't sleep. I've been working on a presentation. I'm giving it on Wednesday. And and I heard my mom, if you guys, if you guys have heard me talk before, you know, my mom passed when she passed away in October, I, I have this connection to her and it was not something I would have imagined before she died. And I'm, I'm preparing my speech and I hear, uh, I hear my mom say, that's a weak intro. So you know, like, I have nothing else to, to do because I'm wide awake. And she says, she says, that's a weak intro as I'm going through my speech in my head. And she, so I, I said, what do you mean? That's a weak intro. And she says, that's a weak intro, strengthen that up. And I'm hearing this so clearly, which is if my mom was you know, alive and she was standing with me, this is the conversation we'd be having. But I never envisioned that the speech that I was working on writing and the intro that I just hadn't quite nailed yet, that I would be going through this in the middle of the night when I didn't feel well, when all I wanted to do was sleep, that this was what I would be doing. And then to get advice from my mom on this, it was crazy. So, so I decided, wake up the next morning, and I, I'm really not feeling well, but my husband says to me, how are you doing? And I said, well, I feel like crap. Again, it sounds like, I feel like crap, but I landed my entire speech. It's all written out. And I grabbed my notebook when I woke up because I actually did fall asleep for about that hour. And I wrote down the whole thing in a matter of about 30 seconds. It just all flowed out. Everything that I practiced the night before and the intro was so much tighter because you know, my mom had said it's a weak intro. <laughs> so I fixed it. And so even though I, I felt like crap, I really surrendered because I didn't have anything else to do at 2 a.m. And I made some major progress in something that I was working on. And so then Wednesday happens, I feel like crap. And I wake up Thursday morning and I kept saying all Wednesday, I just got to get to Thursday morning. I'll be fine. And I wake up and I felt incredible. We got up, we drove to Chicago. I did a client meeting and then we were ready to go. I, we, I started gardening and my, my husband, my sister, I saw you before they were all at the store already. And so they were buying all this stuff. They came back with a tiller and I had, I marked out all the places that we were going to do gardens. Now, my husband, he was thinking one tiny little garden in the front of her house. And I was thinking a big garden in the front of the house, a garden on the side of the house, a garden in the back and you know all around the, the side of the house. And so guess what we ended up doing? No surprise, the garden is all around the house. We spent all Thursday afternoon and evening, all Friday, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning and I normally get up around six, but I was ready to go, hopped out of bed. I was ready to be focused on what we're creating. And so we created this entire Friday, we bought all the plants, they bought all the bedding before, we bought all the plants. 
and we got all the landscaping in the mulch, she had tons of mulch. It was in our driveway and we got it out on the, all into the gardens. And then Saturday, we actually put the plants in and we could see the beauty of our work. And so by Saturday at noon, we completed the process and then we came home. So literally every other than sleeping and eating, we were gardening for the entire time we were there from Thursday afternoon until Saturday afternoon. And what's so remarkable about that is that we were incredibly productive. When you see, if, if I had pictures here, you could see everything that we created. We were incredibly productive by all means. When you look at that definition that we went in earlier about productivity being the output or the result of the inputs. So, so our time and the, the flowers and the bedding, all that being the inputs, the output being what we created, the, the result. And we did that rather quickly. We, my sister and I added up the amount of hours we spent on it. So with the three of us, my husband, myself, and, and her, it was 50 hours over the course of those three days. And so that was a pretty incredible amount of time that we invested into this creation. And the, the, the cool part was we were so joyful about it. It was fun because we create, I, I love creating something out of nothing. And so that was an opportunity. Plus I got to do it with my sister and my husband. And so that was fun. If you remember last week, we talked about there being a joy gap and we all have a joy gap in our lives and in our companies. And, and it can be identified by where we desire to experience joy and where we actually experience joy. In companies, we can even do that as a survey where you can say how many people actually show up in, in and experience joy every single day. Well, whatever that number is, versus the, the amount that want to. And it, you can just keep that number at 100% if you want. <laughs> but whatever that number is, that's your joy gap. And there was a study with Harvard that we referenced last week, and it showed that on average, there's a 53% joy gap, 53%. So that's huge. So knowing that where I get my joy from is where I know we're creating things where nothing was before that brings me joy, then I know that something like gardening, even though it's intense, is joyful for me. And so I created intense productivity because I was in joy. And when we're not in a space of joy, when we're not enjoying what we're doing, then our productivity drops. For example, cleaning my house. I do not enjoy cleaning my house. It's actually one of my worst things that I ever enjoyed. We used to have a cleaner. We don't have a cleaner right now. In between cleaners would be a great way to say that. And I really enjoy having a house cleaner because it's just not something that I enjoy. It takes me a lot longer to do it than anybody else. And so where you might enjoy your house, maybe you enjoy house cleaning. Maybe you enjoy mowing your lawn. My husband loves to mow the lawn. I do not enjoy that. But I would love to garden. I would love to paint. I made a peace pole outside with a, it's a, just a painted pole. And I, I really enjoyed that. Where if my husband, I said, paint this pole, he would enjoy that. And so that would not be fun for him. And it would take him maybe a week or two weeks, or maybe he would never get it done. But when you're in joy, you're also in flow, which means that you can create at a faster pace. So now when you look at that measure of productivity, when you're enjoying yourself and you're in flow, you have less inputs and greater outputs, which means higher productivity. So our goal is to be in flow or to create a space where others can be in flow as well, or to say that in a different way where we can enjoy ourselves or enjoy the joy what we're creating. And most of the time, what I see happening with my clients that I work with, what happens is they say, well, I don't really like what I do. Or I'm exhausted at the end of the day. And as a result of being exhausted, 
they're not as productive. So think about what we've just been through over the last year. Cause like, this is pretty cool. If you look at this, we went through a pandemic. Some of us are still in the pandemic. Some of us aren't. It just depends on where you live and what your views are. And let's just say that for the sake of this conversation, that we're somewhat on the other side of the pandemic. So we've been through the pandemic over the course of this year. And so that added a lot of stress for a lot of people. And they were in situations that they didn't enjoy. So maybe you're, maybe you are now in charge of your children's education and you weren't before, but you're not excited about that. It's just something that you got handed and you got to deal with it. And so you got that on your plate. And now you're working from home and you didn't have that experience. Maybe your, your office setup isn't what you desire. And so that's not, you're not enjoying that. And we can add all these other stressors. So now productivity goes down. You add on to that, that the average person is actually only 47% productive. We've got a huge gap in productivity anyway. That's just a normal stat that was pre-pandemic. Now we've got real issues with productivity and telling you that there are actual people in companies. Like I know one, uh, well, Google has a chief happiness expert. So same thing. We talked last week about the difference between happiness and joy. And we'll just say for the sake of this conversation, that it's a, it's a joy expert. But the concept of adding joy into work from a strategic perspective is hitting the marketplace. And so if this isn't something that you've heard about, or it's not something that you're thinking about, this is a time to get thinking about it. Because especially as we start to bring employees back to the workplace, what we're seeing is a challenge in this joy area, and it's directly relating to productivity. So productivity decrease, joy decrease. We want to increase productivity. First place I look is what is the joy gap in a company? What is the joy gap in a company? All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we're going to go on this quick break. And when we get back, we're going to continue the conversation on the link between joy and productivity. Enjoy this quick break. Talk to you in a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And we have been talking about the connection between joy and productivity. And one of the things that I want to talk about here is that this concept of joy and productivity, it's like, that, well, if joy is what brings us productivity, why wouldn't we just be joyful? Why is this, why is this really rocket science? And the thing is, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's actually harder to achieve 
joy than what one might think. And really to, to instill a culture of joy in a company or an organization or even in ourselves is harder than we might think. And so let's dig into that of the why behind that. Why is it actually harder than we think? And so it's really about our commitment, okay? So, so a lot of times we believe that we've gotta be happy or in order to be joyful, we've gotta like what, what's in front of us. And the reality is that psychological assessment. So I'm not a psychologist, but what I do know to be true is that I study emotional intelligence and this is in the emotional intelligence space. And so when I say like, oh, I like your shirt or I hate this, I love this, any of those words that are opinion or judgment related are rooted in psychological assessment. And when we utilize psychological assessment, what we're doing is we are taking away from fact and we're inserting opinion. Fact being something that is proven, rooted in a this happened, this didn't happen, like it's concrete versus an emotional opinion of something. Because my opinion is based on a series of experiences that I've had that you haven't had. So our sh- we don't have a shared opinion unless we have a shared experience. So let's break this down even further. If you and I both walked outside and I said, what color is the sky? You might say it's orange and I might say it's blue. But I don't know what the, what the lens of your eyes look like. I've never looked through your eyes. And so how would I know for you to be wrong? Like just because somebody said the sky is blue and we've all agreed that the color that we're seeing in the sky is blue, what does that actually mean? So when you really boil it down, it comes down to our psychological assessment because when somebody said that the sky is blue, well, what does blue mean? Like I have a blue shirt on, but it's not the color that the sky usually is. So is my shirt not blue? My shirt's more of a cyan. What is a shade of blue? And so you can start to see where all these variances are coming up. This is a very simplistic example, but this is why as a country, as, as a continent, as, as a world, where we start to see this, this uh, oh, not unity, it's the opposite of unity, right? That's when we start to see the tension and the fighting because we're so certain of our views that the sky is blue. We're so certain that... Uh, how we, how we are dialects, even how we say something is how it's supposed to be said. We're so certain that our view is the only view, but when we open up and we get down even a deeper level, like peeling back an onion, now we go into the next layer. What we see is that we can both have our own views and they both can be correct in the same situation. We both can have our own views they both can be correct in the same situation and they can differ. And so that's what's so cool when you really study emotional intelligence, but that is a high level of emotional intelligence. And most of the world doesn't operate at that level. We operate at the, this is my fact. This is my view. If you have a differing view, we can't both exist in our differing views because logically that doesn't make sense. How can you think the sky is orange and I think the sky is blue, the sky is the sky. Well, what if when I ask you that you're standing in India and I'm standing in Iowa and there's some kind of haze over the sky at that point and what you're seeing is orange. So the sky does indeed look orange, but what I'm seeing is the sky does indeed look blue. We both can be correct at the same moment, even though we have very different answers. That is true, it is totally possible. And yet we don't function like that as a society 
in most, most of the time on average, we don't function like that. We function as this is my view and this is how it has to be. But the key to that is opening up and believing that more than one possibility can exist. And when we go there, then we open up the possibility if all things exist, that perhaps my view is just my view. And when I experience things that way, I can be joyful and unattached to the outcome because I can believe and know that my sky is blue, but the way that you're seeing this side of the sky or any other problem that this or any other challenges in front of you can be very different and it's okay. But as a society, we've made it wrong to have a different view. And I want everybody to have my view or I want to have the same view as everyone else. And that's what's created a lot of this disconnect. So take that into the workplace, okay? Look at a scenario in the workplace like, oh, HR. Okay, HR, that's such a tough space. Like, okay, uh, work from home. Okay, so work with the company right now and they are bringing 100% of their employees back to the workforce, workplace. Okay, 100% back to the, the physical space that they have. And then once they get everybody back, then based on individual merit or individual situations, then they will decide who gets to work from home if they want to. Now, a lot of people are frustrated because why do they have to come back only to be told whether or not they can go into their own space? Why do I have to go back and work in the office so that I can only maybe come home and work? And it's creating a lot of tension. And what they're saying, what they're seeing is that a lot of people are leaving the company. They don't want to be a part of that. They want to know that if I functioned in this environment successfully and I enjoy it, why can't I stay in my environment? Why do I have to go back to the physical workspace? Now, for some companies, there may be reasons for that. It may be, especially in the finance area, a lot of times there have been exceptions that have been made for the past year. But some of the, the regulations say you can't have data outside of a certain, zo uh, certain zoning area. So if you lived you know, 25 miles from the office, but you can't actually release the data within five miles. And so, so there is actually rules and regulations about how data can be shared. And so there may be violations that are happening that have been uh, exceptions up until now. And so I get that for a lot of companies, but most of the companies, <coughs> thank you for bearing with me through my cold. Most of the companies are not in that space. Most of the companies are in the space where they, are, they get to decide. So in the, in the case of my client, what they're seeing is retention numbers are abysmal. Like people don't want to stay. When they made these, these rules that say you have to come back into the office, a lot of people said, bye, see you later. I'll go look for another job. And they found it and then they quit. And so the real challenge is why why did this client, why did they think that they had to bring everybody back in in order to figure out who could go? And at the root of it is control. They wanted to be able to control the experiences of their employees and the experience they were giving to their customers. And in their minds, when we peel back the onion, the layers, we figured out what was underneath it was that they had made a commitment to customer satisfaction and they thought that in order to serve their customers, it had to be in person. This same company, right before the pandemic, so it was like February of 2020, they did a survey and said, how many people do we think can successfully work from home in this company? And it came back at 2%. This is like a 6,000 person company. 2% of their employees could successfully work from home. 
And then the pandemic happens and 100% of them, well, like 99%, I think the CEO and a few other people came in, but 99% of their employees go home, even though they said 2% could successfully work from home. So now all of a sudden you've got this big gap of people that are going home and now they're going back to only 2% can work from home. Well, we know we just blew that apart that more could, but because of the control that they desire, they want everybody back instead of looking at what's really best for their assets, which is their employees. So we get kind of caught up in these beliefs. You see how that works with them? They got caught up in a belief where a year and a half ago, they said only 2% can work from home. Well, we made an exception for the other 97%. And now we want to go back to that 2%. But that wouldn't be fair. So let's just go to zero. Yeah, it's very confusing, but that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so we get to catch ourselves in those beliefs and say, but wait. How we've gone in the past does not have to dictate what we create in the future. Our past does not have to dictate what we create in the future. We get to create a new path forward. And so this is a critical time for a lot of businesses as they are figuring out we've pivoted so much. Now do we want to continue to pivot or do we want to pick up some of our past and bring that forward? And some companies will choose to do that. And it may work for them, it may not. I'm not saying that it's not going to work. What I'm saying is we get to be really careful and cognizant about the beliefs that we're carrying forward because some of those beliefs, they just aren't present anymore. And our employees have seen that they can be just as effective. They can be just as productive at home and they're enjoying it. And when that's taken away from them, they feel like they've been robbed of something because, hey, guess what? It's worked for this long. Why can't it work going forward? Why can't it work going forward? And there was a stat I shared a few weeks ago that was said that 40% of the workforce, if you said, come back in the office right now, would leave, would leave 40%. That's how many people don't want to wear pants to work. (laughs) That's, That's the funny piece of it. But the reality is there are lots of people that do not, do not want to go back into the office. Yet many companies are still creating environments like that. And the flip side of that, because there is a flip side, there's always a flip side. There are companies that used to hire based on their physical locations. So I've got a friend who works with three different, it's a manufacturer with three different physical locations all around the United States. And they used to hire within a a distance of that, like say, you know, 50 miles, wherever somebody could drive into the office every day. Well, then the pandemic happens and they realize that, well, we're virtual. So we, except for their physical space, but like their sales team, Uh, some of their marketing team, their admin side of the team, they can work from anywhere. So they start hiring everywhere from people from around the world to hire, to fill these spots. And then they decide they can bring everybody back in person. But here's the challenge. If I've hired somebody that lives in another country, they're not going to drive into work every day. So do I fire that person? Do I create an exception for that person? Or do I create an exception for everyone? How does that look? And so that's the question that a lot of companies are facing. And so they're reinventing and saying, well, it worked here. Like what worked, what didn't work? And then where, what are we carrying forward? When we go through these processes, when we ask ourselves and we're transparent about with our employees, they appreciate that we're figuring it out as we go. They appreciate that. But a lot of times, especially in controlling organizations, we hold the fact like we have all the answers. And we don't disclose that we're working through these processes. And then our employees don't know that we're asking ourselves these questions or some companies, they aren't even working through these questions. They aren't even asking themselves, but let's just say that you are. 
let's just say that you're working through these questions. And so you're going through this and you're saying, what's working, what's not working. And you share with your company. Maybe you even ask your employees what's working and what's not working. That's a great idea. And you get this feedback. And then you share the feedback. That is transparent organizations. And that brings people joy because they can see, they can see the growth. They can see your process and organizing and understanding. <coughs> they can see where you're headed. And that's beautiful. Those are companies that people want to be a part of. And those are the companies where you're going to see the retention increase because people want to be with leaders that are transparent, authentic, vulnerable, and honest. They want to be with the leaders that say, I don't know where we're going, but I know it's going to be great. They want the leaders that can paint the vision and say, I don't know what the path is, but we're going to figure out the path and trust me and stay with me because we'll get there. Those are the kind of leaders that people want to be with. The ones that stand on the the pedestal and say, I got this, I got this, and they don't share anything. Those those leaders are not going to make it. I don't even think they're here anymore. I think they've already gone out the wayside because even during the pandemic, I think we saw those, those companies shut down. I think we saw them shut down or we're going to see them shut down. If they manage to make it through it, we're going to see them shut down because leadership like that isn't, it's not leadership, like dictatorship. And that's just not going to be received. I think employees are very savvy right now and they're not going to receive that at all. All right, guys, we are going to go on a quick break here. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. We're talking about the connection between joy and productivity. So enjoy this quick break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And we are talking all about the connection between joy and productivity. And one of the things that we mentioned in the beginning of this episode is about the completion bias. Okay, so one of the things that really brings us joy in productivity is about completing. And for all of you that have to-do lists, so if you have a to-do list, I really raise your hand, that's that's me. If it's you, we can own this and be proud of it. So raise our hand loud and proud. We love to-do lists. I even have a to-do list where if I do something that's not on my to-do list, I add it to my to-do list just so I can check it off. Are you that way? Anybody else? Be proud of this (laughs) because here is what the latest research shows. The latest research So Harvard Business Review, I love the Harvard Business Review. So I cite that often. There was a study done, 500 different people. So these these are executives, high-functioning people. And they they gave, had lots of different test measures. So of the 500, a third of them, were they just said, just do your tasks. So for two weeks, they tracked this. So just do tasks. Then two-thirds of them got to use to-do lists. And a third of those two-thirds, so so if you think about this from the 500 people, a third of them got to do whatever they wanted. And they got to just track their results, but they didn't have a to-do list. A third of them got to use a to-do list. And then the other third got to use a to-do list. But they were told at the top of their to-do list, they got to write these things that were small things. So things that wouldn't necessarily go onto their list each day. Like I might have 
big things that I'm going to complete each day, but the smaller things may not be on there. Like eat a healthy breakfast or uh, make my bed or brush my teeth. So stuff is very simple, but yet easy to check a box. Take my kids to school. If I'm going to do that every day anyway, they put it on their list or scan through my email, not respond to my email, not address my email, but check my email. Like just, just look at, open it up. So very simple tasks. And what they found was the third that used the to-do list that also included the, uh, the, the, these kind of non-essential things, but yet things they want to do, these very small things at the, the beginning, these are the ones that had the highest productivity and they had the most joy, the most satisfaction in each of their days because it's 500 people. They also reported their satisfactions. They watched uh, different metrics within this, this group and they found that the people that, that had these smaller tasks up front, they got to check off actually had the highest level productivity and highest level of their satisfaction. So that's pretty cool. And what I realized was there were these, like that goes in line with you think about making your bed every morning. So that's something that I do. Even this morning, I saw that my sheets were undone because I'd just gotten out of bed and I thought, ah, you know what, I'll go take a shower first. And I pause and I walk back to the bed and I completed it because that is the very first thing that I can complete each day. Perhaps it could be one of those things that you put on the list would be put on a pair of fresh underwear every day. Now, if you don't wear underwear, this isn't for you. But for the rest of us that do, this this is something or put on a fresh pair of clothes, whatever it is that we normally create, we're normally going to do this every day anyway, you add it to the list and then you say, check, check, check. And before you even get into work mode, you've already got like 10 things checked off. There was Dwight Eisenhower had a quote uh, and he said, there are two kinds of tasks. There's the important ones and there's the urgent ones. But unfortunately, the urgent ones aren't important and the important ones aren't urgent. I'm going to repeat that because it's so powerful. Dwight Eisenhower said, there are two kinds of tasks. There are important ones and there are urgent ones. Unfortunately, the urgent ones aren't important and the important ones aren't urgent. And what that means is that we all have to decide between urgent or important tasks because Let's be honest, if something's not urgent or important, don't put it on your to-do list. It doesn't matter. Just eliminate it. It really doesn't matter if it ever happens. So the only things that are on your to-do list are either urgent or important. And when you look at these, like these 500 people that, that Harvard Business Review surveyed, what they found was that most of the people on this survey, especially the ones in the first, the, the ones that didn't have the list, the to-do list, or the ones that didn't check off the, the minor things up front and some of those smaller things, what they found was those people tended to go with the urgent items first, which is called an urgent bias. It means that if something's urgent, if there's a fire in front of me, I'm going to put it out first because I'm actually going to get a sense of completion for, for getting those done. And when you have a sense of completion, last week we talked about those, those three things to, joy, to close the joy gap, harmony, impact, and acknowledgement. Go listen to that show if you haven't heard it. Lots of great information in there. But when you get to that acknowledgement or that celebration phase, your brain actually releases dopamine, which makes you feel good. Again, we will talk all about this on June 7th when I have my dad, the neuroscientist, who's going to share all about the effects of joy on the brain. But what I'm sharing with you and why this is so important is that our bodies, like, as humans, we crave completion. We crave it. That little check next to your to-do list, when you check it, it actually does more for your body in your mind 
than just the act of checking it so you know what you have to do. You actually get a hit or a release of dopamine that makes you feel good and encourages you to go to the next step. That's why when you have these small items like making your bed or cleaning your underwear that are, that are seemingly not that big of a deal, they're actually huge. They're actually a huge deal. And so this is really important as far as how we look at our days. If we have the urgent bias, which means we're going to complete the things that we believe is urgent, we will never get to the important things. We'll never have that important bias. And, <clears throat> excuse me, vice versa, if we have the important bias and we spend time on all these important tasks, which are bigger long-term tasks, we never get to the fires and we never put out the fires. So the key is creating that balance. It's looking at those tasks and saying, what do I get to create today? Because that's the other piece in the to-do list. Most of the time, our to-do lists are so long that we actually add about 10 more items than is ever possible for us to complete in the given time that we have stated, which means we set ourselves up to fail every single day. How exhausting is that to set ourselves up to fail? That's crazy that as humans, we do that every single day, but yet that's what happens. And so it's our jobs to our job to know what we can actually create, know what our possibility and our limitations are. <clears throat> and knowing how that affects us. So for example, like today, I know, obviously I've got this cold and that gets to heal. I have a big speech on Wednesday and I get to honor my breath, my, my vocal cords. And so if I put a whole bunch of recordings today, that would be crazy. It wouldn't be setting myself up for success. Not at all. But tomorrow or Thursday or Friday, that might be okay. And so really knowing where I come from is and what, what our vision is really supports us as we look at these completions and this completion bias, knowing that we want to set ourselves up for success, knowing that we're looking ahead to tomorrow and the next day. So what can we complete today that's going to set us up for success tomorrow? That's our goal, right? The completion bias says that we as human beings want that dopamine hit. It's like a drug for us, really. I mean, dopamine is a, is a drug, and, but it's something our body naturally produces. So we want that dopamine hit and we get that from completion. So it's really powerful stuff. And if we use it to our advantage, then we can set ourselves up. The dopamine gives us joy. So when we're productive, let's link this all together. When we're productive and we complete what we say we want to complete, we get joy from that. So the people that have the highest level of productivity have the highest level of joy. It's that simple. <laughs> and remember, we just talked about the things that get in our way, the limiting beliefs. The other piece, and let's dig into this, is about our commitments. When we said just a second ago, I said that lots of people are committed to way too much. <laughs> okay. Then once we do that, once we say, okay, I, I know that let's just use the example today. Let's say I say, I'm going to record five videos. Well, it could probably work. I could probably do it today, but tomorrow my voice would be shot. And tomorrow I'd be frustrated that I did that to myself. So I am, I committed to being ready and prepared for my speech that I'm giving on Wednesday? If the answer is yes, I'm committed to that, it means I'm not gonna record those five videos today. So, and let, let, I get to decide, are they urgent or are they important? If they're urgent, they're a hot deadline and they gotta be, they gotta be done by Wednesday, maybe it's not me that's recording them. Maybe 
I'm doing two today and three tomorrow. Maybe I'm doing two today, two tomorrow, and one on Wednesday. I'm figuring out how I can make it work. But urgent means I'm committed to what has to be done and nothing else. Important means I'm playing the long-term game. Important means I'm saying Wednesday, I have a big speech and that's my focus. I got to make sure my PowerPoint's ready. I've got to make sure I'm rehearsed, but I do not have to do anything beyond that. And so I might let some other balls drop. I may renegotiate other deadlines because I'm focused on what's important. So see that difference? When I'm committed to my commitment, which is my speech on Wednesday, other things may drop. I may get to renegotiate in other areas. It's possible. But most of the time, what we find what we find is that we aren't committed to our commitments. And what that's called is overwhelm. Ever heard of it? Overwhelm. Overwhelm is not being committed to your commitments. And so oftentimes that comes off as wishy-washy. <coughs> wishy-washy. We sound like we're committed. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. But we don't actually. We don't actually. And so think about that in your work commitments. How many times have you said you're going to do something, but as soon as you said it, not happening, not going to do it. Let's put that in the context of something that we never would be wishy-washy on, which is, hey, child, I'm going to pick you up from school. I shouldn't say never. I'm like, this is, I'm sure this has happened. It's happened to me once ever in my life. I didn't even forget my kid, but I was late. Have you ever had that experience? That's, that's like a frightening experience. This is before my, now my oldest has a cell phone, so I would be able to get a hold of my kids. But, uh, this was before that time. And my kids were outside of school and I went to go pick them up, but I got stuck in traffic. And it was not a little bit of stuck. It was like 20 minutes stuck. And I called the school to tell them that I was gonna be late and nobody answered. And I thought my kids are gonna be stuck outside. No one's going to get the message to them and they're going to think that I forgot them there. And I was in a tailspin. I called friends. I said, can you go, can you go there? But nobody answered. And I was really thinking my kids would think I'd forget. And what was coming up for me around that, it wasn't even that I, I blew it off. It was that I wasn't committed. Like what was more important to me than getting there on time? Like the traffic happened. Yeah, absolutely. And has that never happened before? Like I could have planned around that. I could have been there early. And like things happen, right? They happen. And giving myself grace that stuff happens too. But I had that moment of crap. I'm going to be late for the kids. And I know we've all had this experience. So I worked my butt off. Like I got there and I was, I was late, but the kids, the kids were mad. The kids were scared, but it was okay. It worked out. But think about that at work. Like, where do we say we're going to do something, but we don't put the effort in. We're not calling all the friends. We're not calling the, the school. We're not, we're not the equivalent to calling the school and saying, Hey, please let my kids know. We're calling all the friends and saying, can you pick them up? Like, no, we just blow it off. We don't do it. We say, oh, I made too many commitments and we don't do it. Nothing bothers me more than when somebody makes a promise with absolutely no intention of completing it because that chips away at our integrity. Every time we say we're going to do something and then we don't do it, it chips away at our integrity until people don't believe our word. So when I say, hey, I'm going to complete this project by Tuesday at 5 p.m. Tuesday at 5 p.m. comes and not only do I not complete the project, but I don't even tell you that I'm not going to complete the project. Wednesday morning comes and 
I don't know where the, like, the other person doesn't know where the project is because I haven't said anything. That is an agonizing situation. But guess what's going to happen the next time I make a commitment that a project's going to be done on Tuesday at 5 p.m. The other person's going to be like, whatever. I believe it when I see it. And so based on our past behavior, we create future expectations. Based on our past behavior, we create future expectations unless we clean it up. Unless we clean it up. What that would sound like is, hey, I know that I, I said I'd be, I'd have this done by 5 p.m. on Tuesday, but I didn't. And I'm asking for an extension. I'm renegotiating. Like that's what I did when, when my kids, when I picked them up from school and I was 20 minutes late, I said, guys, I'm so sorry. Like this, I got stuck in traffic. I attempted to call your school. I attempted to call your friends. So while they were crying, they knew that my heart was to be there with them. So what you can count on from me going forward is, and I told them what I could count. I said, if this happens again, here's what we'll do. And count on me to be there. And so, the, so really that helped us move through this, but that process, I don't believe that we actually use that in the workplace enough. And so people can't count on us to be present when we don't use that. So the lesson here is that, you know, we're like, we're all going to make mistakes. It's okay. We're all going to overcommit to things. We're all going to put 50 items on our to-do list. Even when we know we can only get 10 done, it's going to happen at one point, hundred percent. It's going to happen. And it's going to suck the joy out because somebody else is going to be the recipient of that. And that part stinks. But what I can tell you is that when we clean it up, it actually brings the joy back in. Your joy suck leaves and it brings the joy back in. And here's what cleaning it up sounds like. He says, I know, I, can, I acknowledge that I, and then insert whatever happened that you didn't want to happen. <coughs> Excuse me. I acknowledge that I showed up late. I acknowledge that I said I was going to have this work done and I didn't have it done on time. I acknowledge it. What got in the way was, okay, so then go deep into it. What got in the way? What got in the way was my, not, my lack of attention to detail. What got in the way was my uh, not making this a priority. What, you know, whatever that is, what really got in the way. What you can count on me going forward is. What you can count on me going forward is. And so that could sound like what you can count on me going forward is to be realistic with my timeline. What you can count on me going forward is to pay attention to the details. What you can count on me going forward is whatever that is for you. Because now the other person knows that you just slipping past the deadline wasn't something that you take lightly. Now they know that there's actually something that they want to work on that. Oh, so, so what she meant, what she didn't, what she, what, how she showed up and what actually happened, those aren't necessarily connected. And so that's a huge piece. When people hear that, then they can reset their expectations. When we blow past this piece, then people are still holding us to our past. So if you want to not be held to your past and you want to create new expectations for the future, this is a practice that you get to be a part of. So here it is again. It is, I acknowledge, then what happened? I acknowledge overcommitting. I acknowledge not getting the project done. I acknowledge, so whatever it is that happened, what got in the way is, and then stating what got in the way. And what you can count on me going forward is that's called cleaning it up. And it's really important when we are overcommitted so that we can move forward. So you guys, like that is, that is a really key tool that I'm handing you today to support you in creating expectations going forward. Because when you do that, the joy comes back in and then we can all move forward and we can all continue our productivity. And then 
here's the magic piece. When you commit, when you go in for that completion bias, when you're doing your to-do list, shorten them, shorten them. So whatever you're used to doing, whatever that, however many things you're used to doing, cut them down a third, make yourself easy. Focus on a few urgent tasks and a few important tasks. And then those, remember, add in, sprinkle in the things that you're going to do anyway that you can check off. Okay, those start at the top. I put clean underwear on today. I put my contacts in. I brushed my teeth. Whatever that is for you, the things that you're already going to do anyway, put them on your to-do list so that you can check them off because that automatically sets you up for that dopamine hit, which is really what sets you up for success. So guys, this show today, thank you for hanging with me. We have covered the connection between joy and productivity. As your joy levels increase, your productivity increases. As your productivity increases, if you're aligned to the work that you're doing, your joy increases. So this is such a fun topic. And for the last four weeks, we've been talking all about joy and we've got two more weeks of really fun joy experiences coming up. Next week, I'm bringing in one of my partners, Brandon Miller, who is an incredible man, who kind, just a servant attitude, uh, selfless. And he works in our business on a couple different areas. One, he works in the martial arts space, the martial arts business that we have. He's a phenomenal coach and he can say things a thousand different times in a thousand different ways where he's really landing the exact same intention. It is totally his gift. And he's figured out how to take that into the workplace to shift cultures in the workplace. And so he works with us on that as well. And we're going to talk all about that in next week's episode, how to actually create joy in the workplace. So creating a culture of joy in the workplace. So that is huge. It continues our really exploration of joy. And then as I mentioned a few times in this show, on June 7th, I'm bringing on a neuroscientist he knows more about the brain. He forgets more each day than I will ever know. And he's going to talk to us about the link between joy and the brain. So a lot of times over this whole series for the last month, we talked about serotonin and dopamine hits and things that are happening in the brain. We talk about emotional intelligence and, and a lot of these different paradigm shifts. And it all starts with this organ in our brain or in our, in our head, this brain and he's actually going to show us, like peel back the layers of what's actually going on. So it's going to be really cool. You'll call him Dr. Finnerty or Pat. I will call him dad. <laughs> so he's my dad too. And I'm so excited to have him on the show. But you guys, this exploration of joy is so worthy of your time because this is the key. Like We all want to have joy in life. And when we come to the end of our life, we're not going to say we wish we'd worked more. We're not going to say we wish we were more productive. We're going to say... We wish we had more joy. And so I'm giving you this key right now to figure out how you can create joy in your life, how you can access it. It's already there. You don't have to find it. You just have to access it. So thank you so much for joining me today. You have been listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Talk to you next Monday. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.